0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and the album Home. Today we're going to share the experience, uh, three experiences, and these are all very short, so I'm going to just brush through them, read, uh, read through all three. And then we'll discuss them in more detail. So first off, we've got Jessica from nderf.org. Jessica says, I was in a coma for seven days, suffering from encephalitis during this time I had my NDE. I was still quite young and knew nothing of what was going on in the hospital other than what I've been told to this day. My NDE started with the tunnel. It was a bright, soft, white light, calm and serene. I still have yet to experience this type of serenity. Again, I think I'm still looking for it. I met my brother at the end of the tunnel, and he greeted me and explained who he was. He had died five years before my birth. I remember wearing jeans and a red sweatshirt. I was thrilled. I had asked for a brother since I was the age of three. We sat in a place, I'm not sure where, but we were using white garden furniture. We talked for a while, and I asked questions like, does God exist? He said he did. I don't remember what else we talked about, but I was given a choice. I was asked if I wanted to visit for six hours or to stay forever. I have to say that I was tempted After going eight years asking for a brother and finding out I had one, and the serenity, oh, it was wonderful. My parents fought a lot, so I needed some serenity. Just after that, I thought of my mom, and I got a bit scared that that I would never see her again, but I was not afraid to die. I wanted to say yes, but instead I said, no, mommy needs me. I have no idea why. Then I was asked to promise my brother that I would name my firstborn son after him. I agreed. My second child was a boy, and as a second name I gave him my brother's name. I asked my brother if I would see him again. He told me that I would, and he said that I was to be a good little girl. This was the end of my experience. I unfortunately have no recollection of coming back, except I was sad to leave. I really did want to stay. After regaining consciousness, I had lost my memory, except of that, and I had temporal lobe brain damage. That is the end of Jessica's experience. Let's jump to Patricia from Enderf.org. She says, I suddenly felt myself in a total blackout shortly and at the time of the sleeping injection. I knew this was different because I had undergone many operations in the past. I tried to resist because a terrible vibration shook my throat, then my head and my body. I was scared and thought of my children, young, young children, and something I had left unattended at home. Then I heard a message telling me that the more I would resist, the more painful it would be. The message told me to be quiet, as nothing was threatening me. I felt a wave taking me to a different boundary or stage. I can't find any fitting word. Darkness was all over me, but it was shining. How to describe that? I'm unable to do so. And a message was conveyed to me that I would have to come back back to perform a task, though nothing was revealed of its nature. I was feeling extremely well. No pain, no fear, only unconditional love, a living and welcoming presence overflowing me. I felt how linked we all are, living creatures in the universe that are but a spark of a power that encompass us and that is also within us no words were uttered. The message just went into me. The expression, voice of silence, seems the most appropriate. Warmth, watchful and understanding presence, unconditional love. Then I was sent back to my gurgling and broken body, and I felt at first that that it was very difficult to get back into it. For some time, I seemed to have two bodies, one made from a light material that was struggling to step back into a kind of shell. That is the end of Patricia's experience. And I'll apologize. I think my kids are watching PBS Kids in the background uh, in the other room. (laughs) Okay, so here's the last one. Shari, S-H-A-R-I, also from enderf.org, says, The pain intensified from mild to severe in less than an hour. Soon I was on the floor with a cold sweat, the pain all-consuming as I was rapidly losing consciousness. My roommate had called paramedics, and I knew they were on their way. Only I wished they would hurry. Then the pain worsened, cold, the weakness and shock. I felt I was slipping. They finally came. I saw them for an instant and was out cold. Outside it was warm, so warm and beautiful. I was walking with three others along a river bank. I could hear the rushing water and see a glimmer of light upon the stones as the water trickled over and around them. Brilliant light shine through the leaves of the trees, creating shadows and warm spots on my face as I continued along the bank with the others. We were laughing heartedly. I was using a walking stick. Some leaves of a branch from a tree brushed my face, and I gently moved it aside. I remember a smile upon my face, the strength I felt, pure joy, completely weightlessness, and free from pain. I had this humorous thought, ha, I wonder what the paramedics think of the grin on my face as I'm lying on the floor, floor unconscious. The thought made me chuckle. I turned to my companions, who were more like beings of light and shadow, not of this mortal world, and smiled. I could feel the pebbles beneath my feet as I continued. They were taking me somewhere cold, the weight of returning to my body, excruciating pain. A light beam penetrated my eyes. A male voice, hollow at first, bellowed, "Okay, stay with us now. And so I was back. My time at the river was infinite, even though it all took place in a matter of ten seconds or so. As I re-entered my body, I noticed my face was far from grinning. Needles, jabs, tubes, water, pain. So like torture, I wanted to go back to the river. That is the end of Shari's experience. Interesting. Very interesting. So let's discuss them now. Okay, so Jessica, she meets a brother whom she had not met in her lifetime. She says that he died five years before her birth. And she remembers him wearing jeans and a red sweatshirt. And she's all excited about this because she's always wanted a brother. It's unclear whether she knew at the time of her death that she had a brother or not. Um, I don't believe she said so. She sounds quite young from the way she describes, um, the experience because she says that, um, much of it she's forgotten, uh, as if she was too young to remember most of it. She says, I was still quite young and knew nothing of what was going on in the hospital. Other than that, I have been told, or other than what I've been told to this day. Sounds like she doesn't remember a lot of it because she was so young. I'm giving, let's see, she's going eight years asking for a brother. Okay, so she's eight years old, so she's not terribly young. She's just, you know, young. Um... So she's eight years old when she has this experience and meets her brother, who she's so excited to meet. She wants to stay, but feels for some reason, which she doesn't seem to understand at the time when she returned, she feels like her mom needs her. So she does choose to return. Okay, Patricia, her experience seems to include... um, it's it's the shortest of the three. And she describes uh, being in a place, a, a different boundary or stage is how she puts it. She says, I can't find any other fitting word. She's in darkness. This seems to fit the description of the void. and um, But she also describes it as shining. She says, darkness was all over me, but it was shining. Interesting description. I'm not sure how that works. Some people have described it as velvety or or silky or, you know, in this case, shining. Very interesting description for darkness. But she feels extremely well, no pain, no fear, but unconditional love. And she has communicated to her because she, even when she says that... Um, She heard a message. She puts the word heard in quotation marks. She heard a message. Um, She says, No words were uttered. The message just went into me. The expression voice of silence seems to be appropriate. And this message is one that communicates a link with all things in the universe, unconditional love, and then she is sent back to her body. I find it interesting that so many people in their near-death experiences, when they come back, they say, you know, I, why was I sent back? What did I do wrong? As if they felt like they deserved to return to the hellish life that they left behind, this this mortal experience. And yet, that doesn't seem from what... Uh, Everybody's describing of what people are saying on the other side. It doesn't seem to be that there's anything of deserving to come back uh, about it. Rather, they are told, "You have more work to do, and then you will come back." It's uh, but probably being in this place of love and joy and so forth. Being sent back feels like a slight, something that they're, you know. I mean, can you imagine if you went to to visit long lost family and they immediately put you to work in their sewers and said you can come back someday you'd be like what did i do wrong (laughs) you know that's that may be what they're feeling at the time um because the experience is absolutely real it's not it's not a nice dream or whatever they're but they're told they're gonna be able to come back so anyway um the last experience of shari's She describes a beautiful riverbank, and I love these descriptions of landscapes like this. She even describes the feeling of the gravel beneath her feet and, and so forth. She's just filled with joy. And the thing that I find especially interesting about this is she still must feel some connection to her body because she thinks she's probably laying on the floor with the biggest grin on her face. And she's sure that her, she've got, she's got this huge grin on her face. Um, so there may be something about this experience that she recognizes. It's not fully over yet. She hasn't completely left. But something about her consciousness has left her body. It, the major part of her consciousness is there in this joyous, beautiful, pain-free place where she's feeling weightless and, and, and pure joy. And uh, she has this thought Ha, huh, I wonder if the paramedic what the paramedics think of the grin on my face as I'm lying on the on the floor unconscious. But interestingly, when she comes back, she discovers she has no smile on her face at all. There's nothing of smile about it. It's all pain, it's all suffering, it's all you know what what the paramedics are actually seeing. Which offers me a little bit of hope. Again, I don't know if this is the case. I can't, I, I certainly can't speak for everyone. In fact, I suspect it's not the case for everyone, but perhaps more often than we know, when we see this tortured body on the floor of our loved one and thinking, oh my gosh, I've lost them. And what pain are they suffering? What, what are they going through right now? Well, we have hope that even the frown of pain and suffering on their face, once they're unconscious, it could be totally inconsistent with what they're actually experiencing. Because Shari thinks that her body must have the biggest smile on its face right now because of the incredible, wonderful love, joy and happiness, even humor that she's feeling right now. She's having a wonderful experience and yet her body is feeling tortured on the floor. So that gives me hope that when our loved ones die, that there is not pain around that, that there is joy and there is hope. Again, I can't speak for everyone, but that seems to be something that, that I feel like needs pointing out, that for sure, at least in some cases, they're experiencing joy and, and love and peace and weightlessness, free from pain. So interesting. So cool. And you know, one of the things that kind of strikes me in here is, again, um, I can't even remember which one it was, but one of these three described um, being told you have a purpose you need to go back for, you have something you need to accomplish. And they're not told in any degree what that is. And again, we have this idea of sense of purpose. There's some reason you're here. And that seems to be something that keeps coming back is this sense of purpose. And I think it's fair to say that, that we don't necessarily know what that purpose is, other than it probably has something to do with love. It probably has something that, uh, you know, purpose behind it that is for our growth, our development, or someone's growth and development. It is probably for good. I'm, I, you know, we could sum up. It's probably for good that we are still here those of us that are still here. And I heard something recently that I think was profound and is not consistent or inconsistent with what I've read from near-death experiences. Let's just put it that way. It was simply this, that purpose is not found. It is made. And I've I've heard this concept before, but it struck me A little bit deeper this time to make me think. If we don't know what our purpose on this earth is, then is perhaps it is our duty first off to seek it, to pray and and you know strive to know from God what He wants us to do. I, I absolutely believe that we should do that. But then beyond that, I think it's our duty to make a purpose of our lives we don't know what it was that we decided before we came or perhaps what god has in mind for us or whatever we don't know maybe what we're being prompted to do hopefully we're we're listening and some of us are so blessed to know exactly what we're here to do but i would i would venture to suggest that most of us probably won't ever have an absolute clear picture of why we are here. And that being the case, especially if we are seeking to know from God what our purpose is, we should be making purpose. We should be looking at our lives and saying, you know what, I, I really feel a draw to be it music, be it you know social work, be it you know, uh, uh, family strengthening my family, be it whatever it is that we feel a draw to, let's prayerfully and meditatively decide that that is at least part of our purpose and pursue it as such. And if we pursue it as This is my purpose or this is part of my purpose and I want to do it right and I want to do it well and I want to bring beauty, love and joy into this world. One of the things that's occurred to me for myself, both with this podcast and with my other creative endeavors and so forth um, that I've been doing over the years and continue to do, is I I feel like I want to make as part of my purpose I want to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. I want to make earth a little more like heaven in whatever ways I can. And there are some things I have a little bit of gift for and other things that I flat out have no talent in. And those things I have absolutely no talent in, unless I have serious interest in developing that talent, I'm not going to put much emphasis or focus on. Again, unless I feel prompted by God or, you know, by spirit to do so, but, um, what I do feel a draw and you might say a prompting, a a feel, a need, an affinity toward doing is creating beauty. And for me, that means bringing nature more fully. It means creating music that gives heavenly feelings It means writing books that bring people either closer to God or or perhaps seeking themselves to bring more heaven on earth. And, you know, from everything I read in near-death experiences, it seems to come very much down to love, love of God, love of God for us, Uh, the... uh, love for each other love you know doing things out of a sense of love not just a love for other people though very much that also um but also a love for doing the thing i write music because i love doing it and i feel love doing it it's almost as if god is giving me a gift and i'm just in this kind of giddy child mode saying woohoo this is so fun I think that's love. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate in g- giving that gift or, 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 or in um, portraying that gift through me and so forth. And be it music, be it art, whatever. And there's times that I'll create something and it's awful. It's awful. But I felt so much love and joy creating it that I can't not create it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, for an example... As, as, as far as my, my efforts to, to, you know, create a a really actually um, sensible career for myself that actually provides money. I'm learning as I go. And there are things that are starting to work a little bit here and there. Uh, one of my efforts was, you know, I had some extra time for a month. And we were in quarantine, there were things that I couldn't do that normally should be able to do. And I decided, you know what, I've always thought it would be fun to create a comic. Just a, you know, like you might find in the funny papers. And and so I did. And I and so for about a month, I wrote about a month's worth of comics. And I thought, you know, I'll put this out there to the syndication networks that uh that send it to newspapers and if if they take it on, great. I can become apart to full-time comic artist. What the heck? You know, and if not, what the heck? I did this because I wanted to. I thought I've always thought it would be fun. And I started doing it and I loved it. And it was so fun and I I did tell myself I'm going to put out what they need for submitting to the syndication and then I'm going to after I submit it to everybody cuz there's only like 7 or 8 syndication um networks out there beyond that, you'd have to go to individual newspapers if you want to submit. And I'm like, I don't have the energy for that. And I don't even know if this is what I want to do for life. But uh, you know, let's just try this out. And, and if they like it and take me on, then great. If not, then, you know, so be it. And I'll go on to other things. So I, I spent that month doing all the submission, you know, I mean, creating all the, uh, the comics. And then Submitted them to all the syndication, and then I went on to other things and I'll still occasionally put out a comic once in a while just for fun but um my my intent was to try something that i've that I love something that I thought I would enjoy doing, and I did, and I loved it and it's okay if that doesn't end up catching on to do for for you know years to come. It probably won't in fact I've already gotten uh most uh, word back from most of the syndicates saying, no, it's not for us. Thanks, though. You know, and that's fine. I'm used to rejection and I expected rejection, though I, you know, did my best and all this stuff. But my whole point in, in bringing all this up is that if something brings you joy, it is probably an act of love. And if you can do it in such a way as to serve other people, then it's even more an act of love. If you don't love what you do on a day-to-day basis, and we all have some days that are just awful, uh, of course, but if if you're not generally loving your life as it is, you can change it. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I don't know how specifically, you need to go about doing that. That's going to be different for every person. But if you don't love your life, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you haven't yet reached your potential. And it means that you have potential to reach out for. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. If you're still alive, it means you still have a purpose. And seeking that purpose by making that purpose should be one of your major efforts right now if you love your life if you feel fulfilled in what you're doing then keep it up and encourage other people because there are a lot of people out there that are feeling stuck feeling lost feeling like they're floundering in their lives And the more love that you can bring into their lives, the more they will resonate with that love. And that love will bring them to a place of saying, I am ready to change. I am ready to take on something new that brings me love. And that brings other people love that reflects more of who I am and what I am here to do. Make yourself a purpose. If you don't know what your purpose in this life is, make it. Do it prayerfully. Certainly do it with, you know, asking God for his guidance and so forth. But if you do that, you're going to find your life in such rich abundance that uh, you're just going to love your life. Now, before I end, just because I brought up the comic thing, I know there's going to be somebody out there ask. Asking me, well, tell us about this comic. Well, I'll tell you. It won't, I've only got a month of it out there, and I'm not actively doing it. But in case you're curious, you can just Google Mega Mom comic, and I'm I'm writing it under the pseudonym Luda Cristori, which, of course, if you say together, is Ludacris Story. So you know, I thought that was a fun uh, little pseudonym. But with all the other stuff I'm doing, I thought, I don't want it to mesh with my, you know, efforts in, you know, talking about near-death experiences, and my religious books, and my religious music, and my New Age music, and so many names out, or so many things I'm doing under my name, I put it under a different name. So that's, that's what it is if you come across it, you know, if you need a little laugh, or maybe just, a, you know, probably much, not much more than a chuckle, because again, I'm not a professional, but... I knew somebody was going to ask, so if you want to look it up, there you go. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by emailing chas, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org, or you can reach John by emailing john at org. You can become an ongoing monthly contributor by going to patreon.com/nde podcast and you can support the podcast also by purchasing my book Life in the Spirit World or my album Home all of which are available on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org and then you can click on store to see those and with that thank you you guys so much again for listening